Hey guys, welcome back to Joko Yo. Johannes Reith was a long way from home. He was a soldier in the regiment von Wissenbach, like 30,000 other men from the region of Hesse in the Holy Roman Empire. His ruler, Frederick II, well, Frederick II, the ruler of Hesse, rented out his soldiers to Great Britain to help them put down a troublesome rebellion in the North American colonies. Frederick's nephew was, well, you may have heard of him, was King George III of Britain, and Uncle Frederick sure could use the money to beautify his region because he got paid for all the soldiers that went to help put down you know, rebellions. And that's how Johannes found himself in the company C under the command of Colonel Friedrich von Porbeck in Savannah, Georgia in 1782. He had become disillusioned with this life of being a soldier for hire, especially seeing that his side was losing at that time. Morale was low in the in the group and 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 leadership was starting to break down and his unit would leave soon to go back to Hesse where he would surely be hired out again for another conflict for another nation and another land. He decided he was done in 1782. He didn't want to do this anymore. He decided that he wasn't really going to go back. And on the 21st of June, 1782, Johannes decided to place his bets in America. He left his post, went AWOL, and vanished from his Hessian unit. He really had nothing there. I mean, his, in, in Hesse, his mother was a peasant who worked for a tenant farmer. That's poor. His father was the landless son of an estate manager, and, 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 and his parents were unmarried. I mean, which, which makes Johannes illegitimate, which in Hesse was a significant disadvantage. He didn't know his father's family and had no contact with them, and he had nothing in Hesse. And so coming from such beginnings, he had really no education. He was illiterate. He signed papers with an X when they asked for your signature his entire life. He had arrived in Savannah as a replacement for a dead soldier. That's how valuable he was. But the risk was huge. He, when he went AWOL, had he been caught, he would have likely been hanged for desertion, especially considering that he took all of his weapons and equipment with him. The risk was even greater considering he spoke no English, only German, and he was in an English-speaking nation. And the only German-speaking communities in the South were loyal to the king. But it wasn't just the fact that his side was losing that he was disillusioned and willing to take, take such risks. With the Continental Army, you see, under the leadership of General George Washington and the Continental Congress together, what it was offering 50 acres of land to any soldier that deserted the British Army. 50 acres in Germany? would have made him a very wealthy man. So he took his chance and ended up finding a German-speaking community in the Upper Mecklenburg County region in North Carolina. Within a few years, Johann anglicized his name to John, took his last name, to, from, to made it read, married the daughter of a local mill owner, last name Kaiser, and became a substantial landowner, owning hundreds of acres. Johannes Reith had taken risks and made himself a new life. And by 1799, he had two children, 
born American and born free from being drafted into their nation's military service, his kids would never be soldiers for hire. He had land and his family was secure. Now that in, that in itself is an American success story. But it doesn't end there, of course. I mean, I guess it could, but it doesn't. See, running through this property that he happened to have bought is, is something called Little Meadow Creek. It's not much more than a stream, really. And it dries up in, the dry, in, in, in August and in, in late July. It dries up, like dries completely out. And, and, Yo, and, and Johannes was now John, and his kids would occasionally fish in this stream. And his second son, Conrad, aged 12 years old, one day was skipping church to do just that, go fishing. Standing over the creek, he saw something shiny, a rock in the water. It was about the size of an iron, you know, a, a clothes iron, and, and it weighed about 17 pounds. So he brought it home. Everyone thought it was pretty cool, and it was heavy enough to make an excellent doorstop. And the Reed family, well, the Reed family used it for just that purpose for the next three years. Then in 1802, John had to go on a trip to Fayetteville. He decided that while he was there, he would get the mystery of this rock solved. When he arrived there, he took it to a jeweler who identified it as gold and offered to buy it from Reed for the big price, according to John Reed, of $3.50. Reed did think that was big. $3.50 was a week's worth of wages. The jeweler, on the other hand, knew it was worth way more, $3,600, and, and he didn't dare tell Reed that it was worth that much. He cashed out. Now, it didn't take long for Reed to figure out that he'd been had. And so he and his family said, well, well, if there's one, there's another one. As he and his family began searching the creek for more of these nuggets, he found some, and then he found more. And then he found more. And he kept on finding it. And so he brought on three more people to help him look. This might be a big operation. He brought his brother-in-law, Frederick Kaiser, the Reverend James Love, and Martin Pfeiffer Jr., a neighbor. They decided that once the crops were in and the stream died up, or dried up, they, they would dig in the creek bed for more nuggets. Now, before the end of the summer paid off, they found a 28-pound nugget in 1799. And so they mined that creek for 20 years, expanded into neighboring counties, and, and brought up so much gold from the ground that people began calling Reed's Mines the principal mine of the nation, like it got the attention of everywhere. In 1826, they pulled out 84 pounds of gold. Word went far and wide, and people began flocking to this area of North Carolina, including from Europe and John's old region of Hesse, to mine. They wanted to try their luck. To handle the amount of gold pulled out of Reed's mine, as well as adjacent mines to his, the U.S. Treasury had to open up a mint to handle that amount of gold in nearby Charlotte. And this was America's first gold rush and one of its first mass immigration events. Of course, less than a century later, gold was found in California in 1849, and we all know that story. The people that rushed there were all called 49ers. 
San Francisco's football team has called the 49ers to honor, you know, those guys. And But North Carolina was first. And seeing that the 49er movement was synonymous with the gold rush, well, the University of North Carolina Charlotte wanted to remind everyone that history was made here first and that they decided to make UNC Charlotte school mascots the 49ers. And they should have been called the 99ers, but it's about marketing, I guess. John Reed died of in 19, or 1845, a very wealthy man. And today, the Reed Mines are restored and open for doors. You can go in them. Now, he died in 1845, which is, again, four years before the California Gold Rush. And this was the first substantial mint of gold coins in America. Now, this story doesn't have much to do with Johnston County. It does North Carolina. But next time, there's another story that latches right on this one, and I hope you listen to that one as well. Okay, guys, it was, that was the fun one. Be good. Until next time.